Welcome back to another episode. This episode is brought to you by Paranormality Magazine. For those that listen to the show, they know that cryptids is one of my guilty pleasures. I do listen to cryptid podcasts in between research. And if you're a lover of all things paranormal, check out Paranormality Magazine. I will be on the cover to the June issue, and there will also be an exclusive interview of me in that issue. So if you want to get that, make sure to use promo code TJOJP. If you're a lover of anything paranormal, they cover phantoms, UFOs, cryptids, all that good stuff. So make sure to check that out. ParanormalityMag.com. Use promo code TJOJP. Get you the June issue that features yours truly. And thank you all for the support. Really appreciate you. And until next time. Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the One on One Podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. Bee Theory is this thing I stumbled upon very accidentally. I met a strange dude in Morocco, of all places, and he said he his dad worked for the CIA and he had some intelligence connections and he gave me an interesting story he had, definitely had a little bit of a, a twitch so <laughs> weird dude overall but there was some some strange things some strange assets that lended some credence to his story but he told me that when I brought up oh well what, what's up with the UFOs this was back in 2015 by the way before the videos he was he was like oh I know people who fly UFOs oh really like can I get a ride on a UFO like what's that all about he's like oh yeah I could probably arrange that yeah the technology is not really that that stunning it's bees they have an anti-gravity chamber in their thorax and they reverse engineered that and that's how UFOs work. always welcome to another episode and make sure to follow me on social media at the one on one podcast on pretty much all social media platforms the website's tjojp.com make sure to go on there comic book cultist monday all that good stuff patreon.com slash the one on one podcast everywhere 
link tree is in the description. If you're listening to this on the RSS feed, make sure to leave us a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube or wherever else, make sure to like subscribe, all that good stuff. Without further ado, we got Chaz of the dead with us again tonight, a fellow Florida man back again to talk to us about some paranormal shenanigans. What's up, bro? How you been? Oh, you know, living uh, another day in paradise down here in the uh, Sunshine State. (laughs) Weirdest state, weirdest people, weirdest investigations. (laughs) Right. What have you, can you tell people a little bit about you, where they can find you, Chaz? For those that haven't heard you, let me pull up the episode that we last did. I think it was episode 115. It aired on October 31st, twenty. 22 so it's been a little bit Ooh, so go halloween ch- episode hell yeah on, on halloween yeah <laughs> so make sure to check that out but yeah Chaz, where can people find you first and then tell us a little bit about you yeah you can find me on all the the social medias at Chaz of the dead and then my website uh chaz which i should update more often but it, it's pretty up to date with my articles investigations podcast appearances all that kinds of stuff um and then, uh, yeah, check out also Paranormality Magazine. I do a lot of writing for them over there, and they're turning out some some great content. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to get into some more uh, high strangeness stuff. And as of lately, first of all, what got you into this paranormal stuff, and what have you been looking at as of lately? I know you have a couple of books now. And what have you been working on? What's been making your esoteric nipples hard as of lately, Chaz? So I know last time I think we uh, you had me on, or maybe it was a Illuminati confirmed episode. We talked about B theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been digging pretty deep into that, um, and that's the this idea that there is a um, a secret branch of science that exists there in the world. This kind of natural an understanding of this natural force um, that insects use a lot in their day-to-day life. But militaries and governments are just now starting to perhaps use in aviation technology. This are we kind in of, danger uh, by talking about this right now, Chaz? Uh, I, I hope, man. I hope they show up to my door. That's when I'll know I'm on Speak for yourself, bro. Hey, well, then you know that—that's the greatest award you can uh, get in podcasting is CIA intimidation. So hopefully they'll, they'll buy you out. <laughs> can you explain to us what the B stuff is? Because I have some theories as to what that could possibly be. Because I'm I'm very deep into alchemy, and I've translated one or two grimoires in my day. And there's some weird stuff in there. There's some weird stuff in these ancient, now what, 15th, 16th century books, right? These Latin manuscripts that are handwritten that are, I heard you talk about how you found some information that was stuffed away in the center of some other bigger work literature. And that's how they usually do it. Because what they'll do is they'll take legitimate works and they'll stuff them in, right? These grimoires or these alchemical recipes, they'll stuff them in to, right? A mm-hmm. homunculus recipe, they'll stuff it in with a medical manuscript. Well, even, even, we, they'll sometimes get even stranger than that. And there's, you know, this whole idea that the Discordians, which big fan, Hail Eris, um, 
they did a similar thing with um, Illuminatus, the Illuminatus trilogy, which is about a bunch of secret societies and it's fiction, but there's a lot of really relevant information weaved into the, the narrative there. Um, and I was actually reading about one recently um, about a, it was a, a French book about how English, modern English is like the, the proto language. Um, and that all other languages are based off of that. And of course, that's pretty nonsensical. How would we be speaking the proto-language to ancient languages? Um, but within that book, there is this like hidden code. Like they figured out that this dude didn't just write a bunch of nonsense, that it's actually, if you like use the English inch and you calculate every whatever letter by that metric or whatever, you get a whole different narrative. And it's again, been one of these cherished documents and what's the name um, of it? i gotta let me let me see if i can pull it up um where i was reading from it recently but um this idea was first kind of posited i believe by um john keel i think it was john keel who suggested that there's this idea of a, a fake a a fake within a fake is that, that the mothman guy Yes, you make something so nonsensical that you immediately, the, the outside viewer is like, well, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? They, that's they chaos magic at its best. They immediately, um, you know, yeah, flush it away. And so I think that concept certainly has some play, especially when you come to the UFO conversation. And that way, I believe it was in the eighth tower of the John Keel book where he was discussing this idea. And basically that the, you know, in these narratives, there's, even though they sound crazy and, and nonsensical, there's something going on deeper than that. There, there's almost an intended audience and those of us who are outside of that audience can't quite tell. I think there's a really good example of that from um, Elizabeth Clara in South Africa. She's a, a one of these early contactees. And she famously wrote this book filled with steamy, sexy space people <laughs> foyers. She was banging this dude back on his home planet of... Uh, 50 Shades um, of Grey aliens like no pun intended Close, but he was a tall hot pleiadian of course of course. of course um and again it's this this narrative that's really outlandish it doesn't really make sense the timeline doesn't add up you know to like she's like was on this planet for four months earth time but she raised a whole child over there and things like that um and so any serious researcher looking at her story would immediately be like, all right, well, this is, you know, some kind of lonely, crazy lady just spinning a yarn. But if you take a second to look closer, it's a little weirder than that because you have these secondhand witnesses, these witnesses who knew her personally, um, but like tangentially, they didn't know about the alien stuff. My favorite story is from this couple who ran this hotel um, down near, I believe, um, south of Pretoria in um, South Africa. And there's this, this mountain range and they have this kind of like uh, eco lodge kind of set up hotel up at the top of the mountain, hiking trails. And it's 
the last, you know, point of civilization before this expands. And they said she would come in the off season and she would stay and she would hike up the hill and they would see these black military helicopters land on the side of the hill and pick her up, fly away. She'd be gone for a whole day and then they'd come back and drop her off. She'd walk back down to the hotel and she'd get, you know, she'd get back in her car and drive off. And she did this for years, even when she was an old like woman, she used a cane to help get up the uh, the hill to this, this landing point. Um, and they had no idea of any of the alien, you know, story, right? They had no clue about it. They were like, this is this weird lady who gets picked up by military helicopters, comes and stays every once in a while. And one time she's like, oh, you know, I wrote this book. Here's a copy of it. And it was her book about the weird alien her weird alien love affair and um when they flipped to the back of it they were stunned because the picture of her sexy alien lover this dude he had shown up to the hotel a week earlier a week before she'd come and drop off this book and he had asked about her he'd been like is elizabeth staying here and they're like um no, but she does normally come around like this time of year. Are you a friend of hers? Because, you know, we don't ever have any other guests. And this tall, sexy, blonde dude was like, oh, I must have uh, mistaked my times. Thank you. And he walks out the door and they look out the window and there's no cars or anything in the parking lot. He just disappeared. And again, they hadn't heard the alien story. They hadn't heard any of this until the next week when she dropped off this book. and It matched up. And again, that sounds like it was done on purpose. It was sound like it was staged almost for that mm. couple who owned the hotel, as if it was a, a part of this dis disinformation campaign. Um, and so again, it's, I think it's a really interesting time to be a UFO researcher because I think we're living inside of one of these fake within a fakes. Um, and I think we're, we're, deeply embroiled in that inside one of these right now the right the b theory is linked to the ufo phenomenon and i'd like for you to break that down because i found it very interesting and i have my own thoughts as to what it could be but how you're saying i, I want to talk a little bit about maybe after you, you break it down about the state of the the state of the union i guess you could say on the ufo movement because i feel like it shifted from, hey, there's going to be this disclosure from the government, and now it's fake and gay. Like, the whole conspiracy realm is just like, it's a psyop. And it's like, are, I just want a straight answer. Are there entities outside, and I know outer space, right, whatever. If it is what they tell us, it's, if, if, the, if it is what they tell us it is, which I know it's not, from my, especially from my occult studies, outer space plays mm -hmm. a role in, in occultism. Mm -hmm. And, but are there these things, because you have all these occultists throughout history who have been in contact, especially Crowley. Crowley was very, was very vocal about being in touch with an intelligence, right? So far comprehensible from our, from our minds that we can't even begin to comprehend its, its power essentially. And he was channeling all these books, right? The book of the law, you had ayahuasca mm -hmm. and you had lamb and all these things. Mm -hmm. 
And again, I, I love my cultism. I'm deep into it. But Crowley was very much connected to the British intelligence mm, community. Damn. And so, again, this concept of a fake within a fake, where I, <laughs> there's clearly, and anyone who reads Crowley, there's clearly intent. Like, he didn't just write this, you know, it's not like chat GPT, you know, just stream of consciousness. It was the OG chat GPT. Who knows? I well, mean, some it people... kind of is the, the automatic writing. Again, if you... If you believe that, um, hold on. Yeah, no worries. So, yeah, this idea that, because I've as of lately, it seems like the whole UFO community, I'll talk here while Chaz gets back, it's where it kind of, I feel, I feel like it's flip-flopping. And it went from there are things outside the fabric of reality and now it's like no it's all the government it's always been the government there's nothing it's all just a psyop to make us believe their agenda etc etc yeah so i was saying Chaz, that now it's like i feel like there's a flip-flopping but now i was gonna say crowley was writing about this when there wasn't this whole community fight That's and true. then you you hit the nail on the head like yeah but he was a spy allegedly if we can believe him, right? Well, again, the the again, as a an alchemist, you're you're well aware that the alchemist has always been a position associated with the government, with the king, with the high office. At least the you know your John D's, your famous ones, and court astrologers, very, yeah, 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 right. Very much they served an intelligence kind of capacity, whether that was through genuine mysticism, even back to like the Greek oracles who were getting their intel from the spirits. Again, if we're to believe modern skepticism, they were probably getting that intel through information networks. You know, uh, who's the dickless guy in Game of Thrones? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Well, kind of that, you know, he served a similar role. Spiritual advisor, but really, spy master. Mm -hmm. um, even Rasputin. Uh, he served a very, very similar role. I, I tend to think a lot of the his magical healing abilities. That's the Putin guy, right? Yeah, he was the the guy who was uh, working with the Romanovs right before the um, Russian Revolution, before the the communists rose to power. He was the dude, and he was like he never bathed, and he was a weird monk, but he also had a bunch of sex with a bunch of hookers and like famous poon hound um and the reason he was so closely knit with the romanov family though was that he was one their spiritual advisor but two he seemed to be able to heal their son of whatever his weird ailment was and i can't remember what it is but they believe it was some kind of genetic disease and they to this day have no idea how rasputin was able to I'm talking about this. Alexander Dugan. Is that that's who? Because he's like some sort of occultist too, isn't he? I've heard uh, that. Before. I'm not really familiar with uh, Dugan. Could have sworn I, I, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm retarded, so I mean, I could be wrong, but I could have sworn no. somebody told me he was like linked to occultism or something. Uh, some but sort he, of mystical. He was also used for this kind of the diplomatic, you know form in a certain way it was used in a diplomatic um you know aspect 
Um, and even Madame Blavatsky, famous, you know, founder of theology, she was kind of being used by the Germans and Austrians in a similar type way. And again, her magical transporting of messages and stuff can very much align with a lot of uh, espionage-esque tactics. Chaz, you're um, like completely destroying my worldview right now, bro. I mean, it might listen, be. I'm not sure I totally buy into that either, but I do think it's an intro. It's something absolutely worth considering. Um, so, you know. Yeah, because th- there. So you talked about how Keel was talking about how the English language is a. The proto language no, at the that first. Was some French guy. Um, let me see if I can find that guy's said... name. Hold on. But you said John Keel was talking. Oh, he was talking about like the the chaos aspect of it, right? The the. Oh yeah, the trickster kind of, okay. of nature. To okay. It. Mm-hmm. So the French guy was talking about it being the proto language. Now. Right. There's this. Right on this line of occultism slash spies slash alchemy kind of sort of cryptography. Right. There, there's that connection because it always seemed that there's even a a conspiracy that William Shakespeare was a spy for a a point in time when he had disappeared, I think for seven years or something or other, he was actually spying with John D allegedly the Garland brothers is, is this, these two brothers that were hanging around with John D and Edward Kelly during their travels. And this would, this would account for Shakespeare's knowledge in the occult and all these other things that he was bringing forth. Right. Cause it's bleeding into this work. Now, if we take, the influence, because you're talking about it being this proto-language, which mm-hmm. we know is probably wrong, right? I mean, that goes against the whole mainstream narrative. but Right, it just logically doesn't yeah, make so sense. Yeah, it, so it doesn't make sense. But if we take that whole lineage, right, William Shakespeare and the influence that he's had on the English language, I mean, essentially mm-hmm. it would come from occultists or I've heard it put that it is, right, the English language is like some some government plan as well that was created by the elites, by the government at the time, whatever it was. Well, again, whether intentionally or not, it absolutely is occultism, you know, creating words and and Mm -hmm. defining meaning. And then having that meaning stick is certainly a powerful thing. And I think we might've even talked about this um, last episode, how I, you know, the paranormal world is very much in its alchemy phase where we're making up Mm -hmm. words to apply to things we don't quite understand. But eventually those made up words will be the periodic table. You know, uranium used to be a a nonsense word, but now we all know what it means. It means dangerous radioactive chemical. We can picture, you know, a glowing rod, which again, isn't even close to accurate, but we can still conceptualize it now. And um, so creating words like that absolutely has an effect. Now, is there a government conspiracy behind it? Maybe. But I, I, I always find it, you know, it's our, our attempts to manipulate language by force never work out. Uh, you know, they always there's uh, they, they always come up with a new word for, you know, like mentally handicapped person. But even that nowadays, like you can hear someone say, dude, fuck, are you handicapped like, when you do something dumb? It's already taken on the meaning. You can't force um, language to do what you want. It, but, it evolves kind of 
There's um, there's one aspect of language which I think we can relate to chaos magic because the whole thing with chaos magic and the way that these magicians were able to adapt pantheons that wouldn't otherwise be orthodox when I'm talking about like Kenneth Grant and taking on the Cthulhu mm -hmm. mythos, right? They believe right. that for a moment in time you could substitute your deity at, for whatever magic there you go, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for that for the purpose that you needed to and then let it go after that. If, and if we look at the English English language, which I can barely speak, apparently, the <laughs> I, there are double words. You have witch and witch. So it's like a oh, witch yeah. that rides on a broomstick and then which, which one is it? Right. So even then, we kind of do the same thing with our own language, well, and, uh, you know, adapting these these definitions. And if you look at etymology, how, how right the word grimoire gets jumbled up into grammar right so you Absolutely. have a book of spells and then oh, throughout the whatever centuries it goes and then do you know what the original what the original definition of fetish was bro it wasn't it like a religious idol Isn't so the like dwelling little... place of a spirit or of a deity of some oh, sort so when really and it wasn't used in the psychosexual aspect until the late 1800s so when you tell somebody that they have a fetish or whatever you're literally if we want to get technical, you're telling them you have the dwelling place of a spirit. <laughs> so it's like, again, these huh. this, these words and definitions, they go out through all, all time. And I think that's what's going on right now, especially with all these movements, if you catch my drift, without triggering any of the algal gods that's <laughs> happening, right? They want to change up definitions of words to fit whatever narrative is happening at the time. And I mean, it's quite literally an alchemical transmutation in real time of humanity and of, of society as a whole. If you really, you know what I'm saying? People will start to adapt this ideology in order to appease the masses, if you will. Yeah. I, and I, I do think there, there's certainly something to, you know, the uh, idea that, well, I think it's beyond scientific doubt that words certainly shape our reality to an extent. Um, like, uh, did we talk about, I think we talked about last time, the color experiment in the Kalahari with the people who can't see blue. Um, I, don't, I don't recall, but hey, I mean, it was a while ago. So, so for those, I've this, got a brand new listenership. So here they, <laughs> here they are. It is for them. So this, uh, this story is wild and it connects to this other weird paranormal story, um, which remind me to circle back to. Um, but this was an anthropological study done in uh, Namibia in the Kalahari, which is this remote kind of arid semi-desert region. <clears throat> and it's super simple test. Two papers, two screens, nine circles of green on each. This sheet has not eight circles of green. One is turquoise. The other sheet has nine circles. They're all green, except one of them is one shade different. I mean, just one slight tiny shade different like an uptick in photoshop if you ever use photoshop you press the up arrow that slight of a difference to you and i totally negligible they're all fucking green they look the same um so they they showed these screens to the the kalahari bush people and they every single one of them could pick out the green circle that was different they're like that one that one duh that one when they were shown the eight green ones and the one turquoise one when we could clearly that's fucking turquoise their, their percentage of getting it right was like 30 to 40 percent they were like um maybe that one or maybe that one 
maybe it's that one. They could still kind of sense there was a shade difference, uh, a good portion of them. But it was, again, like lower than chance. And so in their language, they don't have a word for blue. And so it, it kind of ties into, again, all of these things, they actively shape the individual's reality. And that's something I think we, and especially when we talk about these movements and things like that, that we're kind of throwing to the wayside is that, again, um, while it's, it's some cultural, right, that you could look at that and say that's a cultural thing. They don't have a word for blue in their culture, and so they can't see blue. But we also got to remember there's colorblind people right? That can't see, they have one less cone in their eye and they physically can't see a spectrum of colors on a physical level. Again, so it's, it kind of roots back to that argument, that classic middle school debate topic, nature versus nurture. And as most people figure out, it's probably somewhere in between. Um, on that note of colorblindness, though, I do think it's an interesting note that there are people who have a third cone in their eye and they see a whole other spectrum of color that since we don't have words for, just can't be described. You know what I mean? And so it's, um, oh, what is, it's like, a, it's not stigmata, it's stig, not stigmatism, something with an ism mm -hmm. after it. But if you look up paintings by these people, Everything they paint, you know, they take a normal picture and they paint what they see. It looks like they're they're tripping on LSD. They have that kind of wavy, colory rainbow trail to everything. They're seeing, you know, what New Age community might call an aura around certain things. And again, this deeper depth of color. Um, and then we know that other animals, like the what's the mantis shrimp that has 26 icons. So it theoretically can see billions of colors that we can't comprehend. Whoa. So where where's the line between cultural, um, biological, and physical? Because at a certain extent, not being able to see the color blue is physical as well. You know what I mean? What are they seeing when they look up at the sky? What color does that that take for them? Um, and I reminded myself to loop it back to a paranormal story from that region. The reason I, I discovered all this research is, again, I always get sidetracked by this weird science stuff. I do do UFOs and ghosts and shit. So here's a UFO and ghost thing. Um, so in this region, they have... Like many desert arid regions, they have a ball of light that fucks with shit. Um, most people nowadays, it's a ball of light that flies around. They call it a UFO. Back when the European settlers were first colonizing this region of the Namibia, um, they would see this light and they would call it a ghost. And when it got closer, it would be your, your classic woman in white wandering amongst the dunes. But from far off, ball of light. But in this one region close to the South African border, where it's still pretty culturally um, unique, not too much colonization because there's not really many resources to steal. <laughs> so they didn't get too deep into there. Um, they have the same glowing light, except when it gets closer, it's a flying snake. They're like, yeah, it's the flying snake. 
It has smoke coming from its nose, has this big glowing light on its head. But when it gets closer, it's almost like a king cobra, but the flaps are bigger and it uses those flaps as wings. This is the ghost of Kalahari? Um, so the ghost of the Kalahari, if you Google it, you'll get a bunch of hunting reports because yeah. that's also the name of a type of deer. Really? Uh, and there's a report about it on my Patreon, I believe. And you might be able to find some stuff on it at Paranormality um, because I dug this out of UFO um, uh, reports from Africa that were written in the 80s. And this thing popped up dozens of times. And um, most notably, the snake its favorite behavior was to suck the blood out of sheep, out of the local cattle. And it would leave these two perfectly burned, cauterized wounds in the sheep's neck, like a chupacabra, but also like a fucking UFO cattle mutilation. It had the heat and the surgical precision, and it would remove all the blood in the internal organs and leave these husks. Now, I, we were talking about how, okay, this region is not that culturally affected by this. And so perhaps that's why they're seeing this UFO as a giant snake. One of the best witnesses is a Dutch settler who owned a shit ton of sheep in the region. And he was like, yeah, man, I, it, was, it flew right past my face. It was, you know, feet from me. It was Which a giant. not affected snake. by the culture. I mean, he's, he's a well, he's you would, Dutch. You would expect that he wasn't affected by the culture, but perhaps living in the region was all it took who knows again no who i guess that was the point i was circling back around to was where's the fucking line yeah <laughs> who knows like where does it change between cultures where does it change between biology where does it change between belief and so maybe this guy never believed in any ufos or ghosts or anything and he just heard the local stories of the flying yeah. snake and so that was enough of a cultural mm. influence to make this object appear as a snake. But again, to many of the modern people, more of the modern cities in this, this Kalahari region, the light's a UFO. They're like, yeah, it's one of those UFOs like in the movies because the cultural belief is still based on, you know, UFOs. Um, is this, and, am I reading this right? The lost city of Kalahari, is that the same thing? Um, maybe the Kalahari desert. So it's, it's in Namibia. Botswana is the country that most of the, the Kalahari deserts in, and it verges a little bit into South Africa and um, Zimbabwe. So this is, I guess this is like some megalithic structure that they found some ruins. Let me pull it up here. Oh, see, you've got some good ass search. So this <laughs> is the algorithm knows what you like. You're, yeah. you're in millions of some Atlantis type shit. So oh, yeah. <laughs> look at this, bro. I mean, I don't know if it's the same place, a strange Kalahari desert structures, but I'm like, yo, what's going on oh, in, this, yeah. in this spot? That's man. the same place. So apparently there was this structure found uh, by this Guillermo guy, Farini, who visited the Kalahari in 1895 in search of diamonds. It was one of the one of the first Westerners to cross the unexplored portion of the Kalahari. And yeah, so a lot of the, the edge of the Kalahari desert is still owned by De Breer's diamond company. There's this whole wow. area that's called Spielgott or some weird German shit. And it's like an unbelievable amount of miles. Like it's a, a portion of land larger than Portugal that is owned by De Breers in Namibia. 
And the reason they own this land is they don't mine diamonds out of it. It's where all the rivers from the natural diamond mines in Central Africa, they dump out. So we're like, they mine diamonds in the Congo and Botswana and all these other countries. The rivers carry naturally cut diamonds and they dump out in this Whoa. area in Spielgott. And so the diamond mines there are literally a bunch of native people they import in buses. And then they just send them out into the desert to walk along the river and pick diamonds just out of the sand. And there's all kinds of crazy ass stories from these fucking because they're, you know, they're exploiting these people. It's it's like, you know, the the Latin people here in the U.S. who pick fruit <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're half slaves <laughs> yeah. in a way. Yeah. And there's this, these crazy ass stories. There's this one fascinating story of this dude who trained a bird to fly back hundreds of miles to his um, his local tribe, his local hut, and drop off little packages. And so he was sending these naturally cut diamonds back to his village. And um, one day he loaded the bird up with too many diamonds, and so it was flying lower than it normally would fly. And the guards were like, shot that bitch out of the air, boofed it, and found this bag of diamonds. Damn, um, that's crazy. Yeah, and so this place is, it's, again, it's one of those weird Africa, Africa stories where, you know, some shit that could only happen in, in you know, that part of the world. Um, but again, this whole region is, is locked down. And I just want to get out there and ask people, like, you ever seen some weird shit out here? Because you know they fucking have. Imagine those, those scenarios. Imagine the pitch black of being in one of these prison camps slash diamond mines things and seeing some fucking shit fly over the sky. <laughs> it's all you would talk about. And so I know they've got to have some, some crazy ass experiences and, you know, maybe even seen a flying snake or two. Um, and that's that's an interesting thing to see, right? A flying snake. It's very. And, and so this is. Let's see here. Where's the Kalahari? It says Namibia. So this is sound. Yeah. So that's kind of the swath. Yeah. That's a, a again. When you you can look it up a hundred times and you'll get a hundred different exact mm. borders. But yeah. yeah, that's the general region of it. And they say um, that the Jin, right? They live in these open areas, these like I desert think, regions again. These trickster type spirits. Yes, I think um, about the Florida Everglades, and I'm I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how okay, we know that certain people there there. I believe that there is a world overlaid on top of ours, and the human eye can can only see a certain spectrum of light, right? We can only hear a certain spectrum of frequencies. So the idea that maybe some people, some lineages, some bloodlines could maybe have access to different frequencies. I mean, that's also a possibility as well. And maybe these well, are the again, people who are. The, there are people with more icons, perhaps yeah. they. And you know what's super interesting about that fact is that, um, you know, most people who are colorblind, there's a staunchly larger percentage of men who are colorblind while it's. The opposite for the um, genetic mutation that gives you the extra one. It's mostly women who have this extra eye cone. And so everyone knows the stereotype for psychics. They're typically, you know, your poltergeist type lady who's a little weird old lady. Um, again, I, I've 
never really met a psychic that's impressed me. <laughs> that being said, um, but I do think that's an interesting, um, an interesting motif, especially because it is we do have it culturally. You have a cultural reflection of the biological fact and the idea of of witches and psychics and aura readers. You know, even in the East, there's that that was one of the few you know avenues where women could excel in you know perform traditional medicine and things like that because there's an acknowledgement of chi and energy and these kinds of things so again it's uh certainly something you you got to consider when you're you're looking at um these concepts is you know there's certainly something biological going on again our brain is perceiving everything we experience so there is a biological aspect of there mm-hmm. but there our culture weighs into it our beliefs and you know again our biology so trying to suss out truth out of these three competing factors is is difficult for anyone you know it's mm-hmm. it's the stuff of philosophers and that's why you get such slap shit fucking skeptics looking at the UFOs and shit who are like, well, mathematically, this must have been a balloon. When you have a trained fighter jet pilot being like, hey, man, I shoot at other object, other planes for a living. That shit's not a balloon. That shit's not a plane. I don't know what it is. And you'll have these people who just refuse. They'll, they'll come up with some absolute, they'll pull some nonsense out of their ass. And again... Uh, nonsense. Uh, I've got a whole. There's a a great book by. Um, um, it's the Making Sense of Nonsense by. Oh, he's got the silly name. Not Kirby Surprise. Um, I can look this one up. Hold on, I got the title of the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let me know about who it's by. I'm, so bo- I'm botching all my references today. Raymond Moody. Um, Raymond Moody. And he did a bunch. He was the guy who's termed NDE, near death experience. He's done a bunch of research into to those kind of concepts. But this book is purely about logic, and like it's kind of his response to like how can you be a serious scientist and look at these kinds of things? Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of that. Well, hold on. Just because something's nonsense doesn't mean it's not true. And this is, goes back to our conversation about language and, and the purposeful training of language. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I think there might be a conspiracy behind, but not an intentional one. I think it's accidental. It's something we do to kids to get rid of, you know, wistful thinking. And I think it's fucked up. But we, we, equation, we associate nonsense with something that's bullshit or fake or made up, right? When we say, oh, that's nonsense, it's a, it's, it's a dismiss. But this this whole book is about retraining your mind to acknowledge that no, 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 nonsense is a very important thing. It's a third category of information. We have things that are true, that make sense, and they are correct. We have things that are false, things that make sense, but they are not correct. You know, if I said I'm a purple dinosaur, I'm not a purple dinosaur. It, it, Chaz, if you identify as a purple dinosaur, it's okay. Well... I and, and you know what? As long as you find love and happiness, exactly, rock and roll. That's all I feel about the subject. <laughs> um, but the third category is if I said slip, slop, glob, slop, top, top, 
Does that, is that true or false? No, it's neither. It's nonsense. It doesn't mm. mean anything. And when you, once you recognize that there is that third category of information, you start to see it everywhere. And it breaks it down into the various different forms of nonsense. It's a really accurate study of the logic behind this third category of information. You know, we use it to entertain children. Dr. Seuss, he writes nonsense. We use it to, um, to have fun. Comical songs, you know, there's impossible scenarios, but we also use it in science and religion. Um, for religion, pick whichever one you don't subscribe to. Think of some of the silly things they believe. Um, let's pick Scientology. They're an easy go. <laughs> <laughs> All that Xenu shit. It's nonsense, right? It's clearly some made up words applied to a thing. Um, you know, kind of like shoving a bunch of animals in a boat. Again, whichever one you don't believe in, think of that one. What, what a bunch of idiots who believe a bunch of nonsense. But now think of science. We also use nonsense in science. The Big Bang Theory. Nothingness exploded into everything. That sentence doesn't mean anything. It's a contradiction. Something Dr. Seuss would write to entertain a child. <laughs> it doesn't actually mean anything. It's a placeholder for future information. We're using it as a stopgap to explain something we don't understand. And it, that circles back to these, this concept of alchemy and words and magic and coming up with terminology that essentially creates reality. And so if you, you create enough terminology, you can absolutely start to perceive the world differently. Um, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because so, real quick, there's there's this this idea because you're talking about kids and imagination and all these different concepts that were that were taught. I mean, mm -hmm. growing up, but there's also the idea that Henry Corbin, which was a contemporary of Carl Jung, and one of my favorite topics, the Mundus Imaginalis, where it's like this this imaginary world that's autonomous and it exists on its own that sprouts from our imaginations but it's like mm -hmm. in between the real and the non-real world it's like kind of sandwiched in between and some people are able to tap into th that through different technologies and sometimes oh, yeah. it'll bleed through onto our existence and kind of have an effect on it right but th that's what you're talking and and, and yeah. what if the la what if language affects this other realm or these other realms and it resonates around these different frequencies and how you're saying if you are able to back to chaos magic if you're able to have right order out of chaos is what they always say well if right. you're if you're able to comprehend some sort of structure behind this nonsensical reality or whatever you want to call it it starts mm -hmm. to form this cohesive picture in some weird way like some sort of, I know we talked about egregores and topos last time, but I think right. of it like that. Like it starts to come together in like this symbiotic, like a venom well, yeah, type I, of thing. And I do think the Jungian model is still the closest, you know, academia has gotten to recognizing what we're talking about. And it, it is part of the problem is the terminology we have for what we're discussing. It is very much new age gobbledygook, new age nonsense. Right. And so uh, kind of like how UFO 
for the government to take it seriously had to change its name to UAP. There's there's kind of a a you know a switch that has to go on to to meet in the middle. But I do think Union's collective unconscious is the closest um, you know aspect of it. Now I tend to believe it is more non-physical than you know just our collective unconscious. I think there's some invisible tethers between our our brains, mm-hmm. um, like you know ants and shit. Um, if it's in those baser insects, why wouldn't it be in? Why, why wouldn't we all have it as we evolve up? Yeah, and and the way that Carl Jung was talking about affecting that, if you read, I think it's his Red Book, where he was diving into this collective conscious, it was through the use of what? The use of writing, the use of Mm -hmm. language, the use of words, and he was able to interact with these paranormal entities that were haunting him and whatnot through the use of writing. He was able to kind of peel back the layers of reality in some weird way, but... That's what I love about Carl Jung because he was like doing the occult in from an academic point of view or even the paranormal from like some more academic perspective that wouldn't otherwise be taken seriously if it wasn't for Jung. Because you have like this, this gr- one of the greatest minds, Carl Jung, he was doing what well, he was talking to ghosts and seeing seeing entities uh, and UFOs and shit. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's like where, how you're saying, where do we draw the line? Where is the line if there even is one or does it all blend together in one big shit show or you know some cosmic orgy somewhere and it's just reality is just fluid and it kind of relates to what you were talking about let's let's get into the the b theory with the i forgot what you called the juice the the the, oh, the uh, cosmic uh, what was it? The, uh, super fluid. The super, <laughs> yeah, that the super fluid. So uh, ever predating because B theory has kind of evolved. Um, oh, it has. <laughs> Interestingly, um, I think a good example of this is Wilhelm Reich, another student of Carl Jung. Uh, are you familiar with any of Reich's work or I've, the concept of? orgone energy yes yes I, that, that name sounded familiar but yes i'm familiar with orgone energy but I, I don't i'm not a a an expert by any means so most people are familiar from it if you've ever gone into a, like a new age crystal shop they'll have those <laughs> little like resin pyramids filled with like metal shavings crystals and spirals yeah they're fucking cool they are cool man (laughs) they're great paperwork i've got one bro i've got one on my thing back here somewhere and i'm pretty sure i've got someone that's a piece of coral castle too bro right there oh Oh, so so they said that one might actually be magical yeah But those Oregon pyramids are bullshit. It's a complete <laughs> if you want to talk about intentional fakes within a fake, talk about that is something that has been released intentionally to debunk what would have been a scientific field. And again, we're coming on to that that B theory. Um, so uh, very quickly, for those who didn't listen to the, the Halloween episode, go back and listen to it. But I don't think we B- covered B theory on that one, did we? Oh, shit. Well, go find the other episode. But B-theory is this thing I stumbled upon very accidentally. I met a strange dude in Morocco, um, of all places, and he said he his dad worked for the CIA and he had some intelligence connections, and he gave me an interesting story. He ha- definitely had a little bit of a, a twitch. So <laughs> weird dude overall, but there was some – 
some strange things, some strange assets that lended some credence to his story. But he told me that uh, when I brought up, oh, well, what, what's up with the UFOs? This was back in 2015, by the way, before the videos. Um, he was he was like, oh, I know people who fly UFOs. I was like, oh, fuck, really? Like, can I get a ride on a UFO? Like, what's that all about? He's like, oh, yeah, I could probably arrange that. Um, yeah, the technology is not really that that stunning. It's bees. They have an anti-gravity chamber in their thorax, and they reverse engineered that, and that's how UFOs work. And he said it really like that, like matter-of-fact nonchalant. <laughs> not like it was like any like big secret or anything like that. He's like, oh, yeah, no, of course. Um, and it was so strange to me that I... I didn't even like bother to write anything about it at the time. I was like, well, that was fucking weird. <laughs> it was, you know, just this weird dude I had a dinner with uh, because a friend told me I should meet him because he had, you know, the secrets. Um, and I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Years later, when I wrote my first book where I went down to Chile to investigate this other UFO case, I was, you know, investigating aliens. I was doing some psychedelic experiments, but... Being a good research, I explore, researcher, I explore all the angles, and I was looking into the Nazi explanation, um, which is one that pops up a lot in South America anytime there's UFOs and tall, blonde aliens. <laughs> you, you can see why the connection gets made. Um, <clears throat> and I even went to this former Nazi compound and did some interviews and some snooping around. Um, but in writing this chapter, I included that guy's weird theory that you know it was reverse engineered from bees because everyone knows the well most people know the story of the die glock the nazi bell the supposed anti-gravity device that the nazis were working on and i noted that you know if you flip it upside down it, a bell kind of looks like the ass end of a bee <laughs> you know what I mean? kind of adds up um and that really was the whole it was like one paragraph you know a little bit of a rant um, yeah, so that's the structure above. Uh, there was an underground base where they were working on the bell, and those were cooling towers that were uh, this Stonehenge-esque monument that you can still go out and see in Germany today, um, southern Bavaria. might be in Austria. Um, <clears throat> but that region. Um, and again... We knew this device, it was a, a hot debated topic in like historical circles for decades. But nowadays we know it was real. There's been enough uncovered that we know it was a real device. The debate is still on on what it was used for. The most academics land on that it was some kind of nuclear centrifuge, you know, this crucial device in making an atomic weapon. Um, and, you know, we, we just beat the Nazis to the bomb and, you know, their whole thing fell apart and the rock flag and eagle, God bless America. Um, uh, that's, that's the official story. Uh, <laughs> but of course, <clears throat> more sensational stories talk about this anti-gravity device. <clears throat> and so I mentioned that in my book and, um, after it came out, I didn't expect anyone to read it, but people did. And I started going on podcasts to talk about it. And one of the guests who had, or one of the shows who had me on, they, uh, the host had read the book and said that paragraph like jumped off the page for him because he had known this close friend of his whose dad worked in military intelligence, 
could never tell him what they did. All he would say is, I'm a man in black. And they were like, like with the UFOs and shit? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> now don't ask me anything more. And on his deathbed, when he was, was you know, an old man dying, the son asked him, come on, you got to tell me, you got to tell me something more than that. Like, what, did, what, like, what's, what, what is it? What are the UFOs? All he would say was, look at the bees. And so they had always thought it had something to do with how bees communicated or something along those lines until he had read the paragraph in his book, in my book. And so it kind of led me down this rabbit hole of looking at it more seriously. And I discovered, one, there's some weird shit about bees. There used to be this concept that, you know, bees um, were too heavy to fly. Um, but there's some debating science on that. There are some other weird aspects, specifically with honeybees. When they're carrying a bunch of pollen, they're actually using less energy. They're beating their wings slower and they're breathing slower, which, you know, if you're doing exercise, anyone knows that's the opposite. It's almost as if they are lighter when they're carrying a bunch of weight than they are normally. doesn't quite make sense. Um, but uh, there's also a weird thing about their nests and how they ignore gravity in a certain way. Anyways, scientific blah, blah, blah. Pick up the upcoming bee theory book to read all of that stuff in depth. Who cares? Are you really well, writing another book on just on Oh, this? it's in the works. Nice. Um, because, I've again, I found some interesting follow-ups to this theory. So um, first I discovered in the directly related to the bee thing was Viktor Gerbinikov. And this is what we probably discussed at length last time. But he was a Russian – sorry, that was a beer cup. <laughs> he was a Russian dude who uh, was an entomologist, real dude, did a bunch of research. He discovered these weird magnetic fields around insect nests. Um, and his research is still, like, quoted by scientific studies today. I was sent one a few months ago by German researchers who are like, and according to Gervinikov's research, it lines up with our – like, he's – still respected in a, a certain, you know, aspect when it comes to insects and their electromagnetic fields, which again, very interesting. Um, but in his memoirs, along with all of his great discoveries about bugs, he solved this weird alfalfa pest problem in Russia. Like he's kind of a national hero for the agriculture community. Um, he discovered all kinds of weird shit. But he also, in his memoirs, wrote a chapter about the time he built a flying device. <laughs> and it's very much a, it's like a pallet with handlebars. <laughs> it's like just a wooden platform with a pair of scooter style handlebars. And apparently this craft was capable of some pretty impressive flight abilities. Um, and not only that, he listed a laundry list of paranormal side effects that would occur from operating the craft. And that is what kind of made me bite a little harder on this story was because the things he described, what would occur when you operated this craft lined up exactly with my list for my first book, comparing the UFO phenomenon to the psychedelic experience that you have these these things that are the same missing time where you if you take a hallucinogenic substance 
I've had this one where I thought I was staring at the wall for maybe five, 10 minutes and it was three hours. I wasted <laughs> half a trip. Um, we've all heard the opposite one, the nightmare scenario where you smoke some salvia if it's supposed to only be a, a five, 10 minute trip and you get trapped in the, another reality for a light, what feels like a lifetime. Again, this is what occurs on UFO experiences. Time is altered, you know, a short amount of time is experienced in a, a long amount of time. Travis Walton, fire in the sky. He was gone for a week, but for him, it was only like 30 minutes. He has no memories for anything past 30 minutes of that experience. Um, there's a famous case, the Val Corporal Valdez case in South America, which was um, kind of the opposite. He was with a, but very similar, as in there was a shit ton of witnesses. <laughs> he was with a... Uh, group they were soldiers on a training mission a light lands on this hill he disappears off in the direction of the light he's gone the light disappears 15 minutes later the light reappears drops him off and he's hysterical like he's freaking out he's like in and out of consciousness when he wakes up he's screaming hysterically but all the soldiers notice that he has a bunch of stubble now on his face he's got almost like a half beard and he was cleanly shaven moment minutes ago when he disappeared his watch was also spun forward a week the date and time were wrong and so again goosebumps it's a weird it's, you have that time alteration you have the viewing of strange worlds you have those all kinds of audio visual hallucinations and um, all of these weird side effects gerbinikov described experiencing when he would operate his little ufo and not only him but the people around him in the areas he would test this craft frequently would begin to experience weird paranormal side effects the first one he noted on the first test flight of this craft was that anyone on the ground looking up at him wouldn't see a little russian scientist on a flying pallet <laughs> they would see these glowing geometric shapes glowing triangles or all right discs. so pause right there chaz because that's where the, this is where i come in because when you were talking about this now so this how do, do you know how to spell his name gervinikov um g-e-r-b-v-i-n-k-o-v -I, I believe it's probably close enough victor v-i-k-t-o-r there's, is there the Russian spelling? <laughs> is there is there pictures of this guy? Oh, there's pictures of the craft. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, the craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I oh, can't. Oh yeah, this is a weird. Again, I can't this find whole him. Time I'm researching this. So, all right. So this is what I got because, I, what my question to you is how how much can we trust that this guy wasn't writing in code? And that he wasn't some sort of alchemist or some sort of cryptographer. In That's order exactly to... what I was about to say is in the, the concept of a fake within a fake. Um, to lead people off the trail of the actual technology if it was an actual thing. Because when you're talking about this, I'm thinking about this, for example. These paintings where they would see people in these crafts, right? And not only that, mm -hmm. but if you look at these celestial events... It's kind of sort of what you're hinting at. And this is in a German city. So we're talking about in Germany. And you said this is uh -huh. a, a German scientist of some sort. This is in April. 
in the 16th century. Oh, yeah. It gets into the idea of the uh, what's the um, what's that aerospace club, the uh, early idea of this breakaway civilization of the idea of airships that the oh, technology yeah, is yeah, always yeah, yeah. constantly just a few steps ahead of us. And it's most likely because if B theory is correct, it is because these, um, you know, they're, they're just modeling these crafts after what's in vogue. They're just using an alternative <laughs> propulsion system. But other than that, they still want to make them stylish. You know what I mean? Like you want to fly around in the coolest craft possible. Look, so at, they, look at this guy, bro. Debunking evolved. ancient aliens. Look at it. He, he debunked. De he debunked it, bro. This guy did well, the work. I mean, it makes nothing sense. Nothing to see here, guy. Well, let's... All right, flush it. <laughs> no reason to, <laughs> to read any further. It's been debunked. <laughs> Look at this. All right. Well, yeah. The I guy mean, on the internet said not true, so there you go. In That's 2012, bro, this dude was just researching this. This is from the Wayback Machine. So this... this it's not even around it's anymore. AncientAliensDebunk.com. <laughs> Check it out, guys. Ancient Aliens Debunk. Did not debunk. survive as long as Ancient Aliens, the actual TV They took, Well, they snuffed him out. They took him out. He was, he was. Sukalos assassinated. He was silenced. Life. All right, so let me check out this picture that you sent me of this guy. So I think this is actually a video, I think, of Facebook montage. Is this the guy? Gurbinikov evidence. Yes, he was alive. So he died in the 90s or um, it might even have been 2001 when he actually passed. So this so is recently. Yes, this isn't some distant. Uh, this dude was alive in a well at this time. And so these are all, there's again, this montage of clips. No one's got a real good source on How'd he clip. die? Do you know? Um, it seems to be just old age. I think he, he died of like, um, you know, typical medical problems from being old. Um, so the guy who was doing most of the research, very interestingly, on Gurbinikov was this dude. Um, he was running a website called KeelyNet, and he never he had like a fake monic camera. He had the Twitter account and stuff. Um, and this KeelyNet, he was obsessed with free energy, alternate energy devices, um, and he was the one who did most of this research on Gurbinikov, getting the writings translated. He was in contact with his son. And then sometime around um, the 2010s, website just stopped. Dude stopped posting. No, everything went dark. The, you can only get KeelyNet now through the Wayback Machine. The, the website's down. FBI, uh, he got got it. No, <laughs> you scared me. I thought I was real. Man, you should have seen your face, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so this is showing... Um, the insect, he said that it was in the wing covers. It wasn't actually in the thorax of the honeybees, but it was in the wing covers of what he discovered any heavy flying insect, that it wouldn't have just been bees. It would have been things like, and they just showed in the video, scarab beetles, things like um, flying cockroaches would even have this extra it's little. It's got like a force field around it, right? Oh. Right, so it's it's this weird CSE. Bro, this is fake as fuck, Chaz. Get out of here, bro. So, again, it looks pretty fucking cheesy. does look pretty fake. But I, I, I've started digging deeper into it. And so let me tie it back to who got us on this was uh, uh, Wilhelm Reich. 
the contemporary of um, <clears throat> of uh, Carl Jung. He was one of his students, and Wilhelm Reich is a he's a if he had any other contemporary, it's Nikola Tesla, because he was doing some fucking wild ass shit, and everyone around him who was alive at the time. There's not a single person who went to him who was like, yeah, it was bullshit, except for the ATF, <laughs> the ATF. <laughs> and so let me, let me get into this. So Wilhelm Reich studied under Carl Jung um, in, in uh, fucking Austria. And remember, Chaz, remember the synchronicity with young and the scarab beetle so there's like a connection between the scarab beetle and young too so i'm sorry i actually fucked up because he was a contemporary of young they both studied together under sigmund freud okay um they were in the same class they were like competing against each other interesting and um uh reich went on to develop his first big breakthroughs in psychology were on sexual theories on you know the importance of busting a nut <laughs> and he didn't do any of the controversial <laughs> sigmund freud mommy shit um though again the longer the longer internet pornography continues the more i believe freud was spot on <laughs> but <laughs> that's neither here or there I, I think we toilet flush a lot of his ideas that we might uh might still be valid yeah but yeah <clears throat> neither here or there um, either way, he produced a great class of students, Carl Jung being one. But Reich went deeply into this idea of, of sexual therapy um, and these kinds of things. And he discovered what he would call orgone energy. And orgone derived from the word orgasm because it, he discovered it first through a massive release. When you had when you bust a nut, there's this massive release of energy. Are you supposed to levitate, Chaz? Like when you bust a nut? <laughs> like... Hey, that's some of that Karma Sutra shit. But again, yeah. this is something well, again, well known in the East is that there is a medicinal aspect of, of sexual, you know, shit. You can have a, a connection. You can have a um, a healing experience. It is an exchange of chakra, if you will, if that's your you know belief system. Um, <clears throat> it's something that you know has been in the the human culture and the human psyche for mm. for centuries. Um, and so this is where he first discovered it. But very similar to Gerbinikov, he discovered that you could actually build rudimentary machines that would harness this energy because the energy wasn't inside our body. It wasn't inside the spunk or the cum or anything. It was inside the manipulation of this invisible energy. It's the same idea as the fucking force, essentially, from... <laughs> um, uh, Star Wars, and yeah. actually, George Lucas cites Orgone Energy and Wilhelm Reich as one of the inspirations for the Force. Um, but it's the same. Uh, I, the most interesting thing I find is that the machines that Reich built are very similar in shape and design as to the machines that Gerbinikov built. And they both built these ones, not the UFO. Reich never built a UFO, 
But Reich would build these medical devices. He would build these giant wooden pyramids and he would have people sit in there for various ailments. And based on the ailment, they would have different kinds of, of pyramids. And um, he essentially was using it as like chemotherapy for these intense ass diseases. So th yeah, those are the ones where people would sit inside. Check out this headline. The man who thought orgasms could save the world because... Save the world! Hell yeah, dude. So there is a deep dive. I want to tell the first book I picked up on Wilhelm Reich was fucking insane because I read the introduction. It was written by one of his students and it was straight up like, this dude cucked me a bunch of times. He stole both of my wives, <laughs> but he's also the greatest genius I've ever met. <laughs> Listen, Chaz, hold up, hold up, because you're 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 connecting things in my mind that I wouldn't have otherwise connected without having this this intellectual conversation with you at this point in time. But if you think about it, John D and Edward Kelly, they cucked each other. Because of these entities on the other side, they told them to do that, okay? And then part of this sexual energy has been embedded in Western occultism, starting with P.B. Beverly Randolph, I think is his name is, or P. Yeah, Beverly Randolph. This He was like one of the first ones in the early 1900s to bring forth this idea of, of sex magic, essentially. And then we know that Crowley was obsessed with it. And now you have this back again to this academic who is taking the occult and putting it in this in this academic environment and giving it some legitimacy. It's like, yeah, you could be busting nuts and transforming your reality and healing yourself and all this stuff. But then we have these occultists who are doing this and kind of talking about sort of the same thing, but in more of a in a weird aspect, I guess, not 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 taken seriously. But so, I don't, I don't know, man. And now you're talking about cucking, and I mean, I <laughs> again, know. I think the dude might have been a weirdo. But <laughs> also that <laughs> the 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 thing, the basis of his technology, um, and the basis of Gerbinikov's CSE technology. Again, this is not necessarily the UFO portions, but the other stuff he invented. Um, and Gerbinikov did. He invented all of these medical, holistic medical devices that are still in use today. Um, I, when I talked about that paper someone sent me, it was referencing his medical discoveries, not his obviously not his UFO discoveries, because no academic's going to touch that shit. But his medical shit is still valid to this day. And um, Reich ends up building these very similar machines off of instead of insect nests, he based it off of human sexuality. But again, it's interesting. The nest is essentially the sexual component of the insect. Uh, <clears throat> but um, he designs these medical devices, which a bunch of people come to, to him to use. But most interestingly, he designs something called the cloud buster. And this is like a big old, like almost like a rocket launcher of PVC pipes and tubes and shit. And this is the exact formation that Gorbinikov describes. Just having a bunch of these together creates a CSE effect. He says you can grab a bunch of straws. What was the name of it? Um, if you look up Wilhelm Reich, I believe it's the Cloud Buster. Um, even though it did the opposite, it would create rainstorms. 
And he was on the record for a bunch of local farms. They would pay him to come out monthly. There it is. Um, they would pay him to come out monthly to fire this thing up in the sky and it would create rainstorms. What? And again, this mass of tubes is the exact same thing <laughs> Gorbinikov described to create a CSE effect. He claimed um, could produce rain by manipulating what he, he called organ energy present. So you probably won't find this on the Wikipedia, but the coolest fucking story he ever told about this thing was the time he fired it at a UFO because he saw this strange light hovering over a field he was working in. He felt like it was checking him out. And so he points this <laughs> bitch at it, fires it as if to create a rainstorm at where the UFO is located. And the UFO has a noticeable effect immediately. Starts it starts to like drop everywhere. out of the sky. Yeah, it starts to drop out of the sky like it's crashing and it kind of like recovers at the last minute and flies around in like a freaked out way and zooms off. Um, and Gurbinikov describes building similar devices that would affect the flight of his UFO in the, the exact same way. All right. So now I had two crazy scientists and I was like, okay, this is pretty fucking weird. They're describing the same invisible energy fluid, um, that's, that's throughout and something connected to UFOs. The UFOs are somehow navigating through this. So I went to look deeper into, all right, well, let's go back to the Nazi bell. That's kind of what started this, this deeper interest in it. There was a mention, is there anything to that concept deeper? And there was, there's this dude um, and his name, and I'm going to kick myself in the head. Hold on. I'm going to pull it up right now. <laughs> I, I should have had my name. Usually I'm a fucking encyclopedia with this shit. <laughs> well, I'm a little buzzed tonight. Um, let me see if I can find his name. But there was this dude. He was a naturalist in Germany. He made. He was um, famous for inventing a log flume that used such a low amount of water that they were able to harvest lumber from regions they weren't able to harvest before. Like normally your log flume, you'd have to pump hundreds of gallons of water to get it to go. This dude figured out how you could use like a, a like half an inch of water if you used it at the right speeds and angles to lift, you know, thousand pound lumbers. Um, and there's a bunch of evidence that he went on um, to work on the, um, the Nazi bell project. It's almost proven that he was involved in this, this weird, um, this weird bell project. And so again, he just said that all of his discoveries were from growing up as a child, observing nature in the wild, observing streams and this, this kind of natural approach. And that's the, the thing that all three of these inventors so far have in common is even though one was through insects, one was through orgasms, this other one is through forestry and, and streams. They're all saying that I observed nature and realized there was this weird force applicable that hasn't been described yet, that science is neglecting. It's like gravity, but it's ever pervasive. It doesn't flow down exclusively like gravity pushes down. It's not like that. It's, it's kind of like water that's all around us, this ever pervasive fluid. And there are certain things that biology can do and geometry 
again, the two con common factors in both of these, biology and geometry are able to create an effect within this, this field. Um, and interestingly, his research continues on today in what is called the Biomedical Institute, I believe, of Bavaria, again, the same region. Interesting um, place, huh? <laughs> and it's, well, it's weird, this Biomedical Institute. So again, he's associated with UFO technology, but what he's remembered for is medical shit. The same thing as mm -hmm. Gurbinikov, mm -hmm. the same thing as Reich. Um, and the Biomedical Institute is controversial, to say the least. They've got a whole thing about how, like, you can use their technology instead of to, like, prevent and shit. Uh, which, again... I don't want to talk politics. I'm not here to do that. I'm I'm gonna censor that well, for the YouTube big claim. Demons. Big if true. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, it, and so this guy again. We have three separate sources, and so here's where it gets juicy. Is that I found a guy here in Florida. Wait, so it hasn't. Quite, got, we're getting to the juice now. Oh well, it's pretty juicy, but oh. Before I get to the Florida guy, hold on. Let's finish out the Wilhelm Reich story because, again, all this sounds very far-fetched. And, again, if you look at shit up, we, you saw a bunch of those cheesy little pyramids, right? Yes, and these devices, these boxes where he would put people in. To... Well, if there's anything to convince you there might be something to his, his technology, let it be how his life ended. Because he was arrested by the ATF the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, even though he wasn't doing any of those things. <laughs> he was arrested by the ATF. He died in prison while under their custody. No one knows how or why. He just died under their custody. And all of his inventions, all of his creations, everything from his lab was taken, stripped, and put into government holding and has never been released. None of it has been released despite dozens of, of FOI requests, dozens of researchers being like, Hey, like his, where he had these inventions, it's like a museum to his life mm. and shit. Because again, he was a famous, like he, he was a famous scientist before he went kooky, according to the mainstream, but people were paying him to create rainstorms. People were paying him to heal. And all of a sudden the ATF arrests him, takes all of his shit. And that's the end of the story. There's nothing to see here. Again, when I said if he has a contemporary, it's fucking Tesla because it's the same shit that and they happened. did the same thing Tesla to him. Died. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The exact same. They went in with intention and none of that original shit has ever surfaced. There's been, oh, here's a copy. Here's something, yeah, from the archives. Oh, here's a little thing. But none of the original shit. And that's Tesla. None of the Reich shit has ever come out, period, period. Whoa. Again, we have fake little resin pyramids in new age shops. Nothing even close to what he was building and working with. And that is his legacy. It's been totally erased intentionally. Um, and again, if perhaps Reich was the one to discover this, this fluid technology for the U.S., Gorbachev discovered it for Russia, fucking the German dude discovered it for Germany, and... Mm -hmm. Some Egyptian priest discovered it with scarab beetles <laughs> fucking 5,000 years ago. Uh, if it is something that is just a part of nature, an unseen part of nature, 
I think that goes so far to explain a lot of this because this idea that there's an alien force coming here to, to, you know, impose some kind of invasion or some kind of strategy or some kind of subversive move. Even that idea is fucking human as shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that whole concept is a human kind of concept. And it does. These UFOs do, despite their high strangeness, despite their weirdness, a lot of them are clearly acting in a military industrial capacity. Mm. I mean, just from some of the best recorded ones here in the U.S., some of the best recorded cases are the ones where they fly over nuclear silos and they they affect our weapons directly. And the re- because again, there's no way you can keep that secret. People are going to talk about that shit. Those cases are are some of the best, well documented ones. Um, and you know, fuck, that's that's pretty intentional. <laughs> you know what I mean? And these craft are seen all over the the globe and I'm sure they're running all kinds of, of different operations and different moves and different things. Um, and again, it's not necessarily impossible that more than one thing can be true here. If we are using a quantum fluid technology and let me break that down because I keep saying that. And what, just, what was it that you called it at first? You called it the super fluid or something or other? The super fluid, because this is real. Hold on, I'll send you another one. Um, because right now fluid. I'm thinking about like alchemy and what if this super fluid is like some sort of like the elixir of life or like the philosopher's stone. But or, but these things have names that we would attribute to a liquid or an actual stone. But there's also the other possibility that it could be actual like breakthroughs of reality of being able to step through space and time and not an actual physical thing. Right. So, but again, this is, this is, this is the problem with our language. And when you're oh, going yeah, on absolutely. about all this, I'm just thinking alchemy and, and there's a grimoire that I've studied in, in depth. And I'm kind of known as like the homunculus guy in the community. And one of oh, the, yeah. the I've got Le- some homunculus questions after the show, the Lieber vacay, bro, in that book, in order to create a, a a living cow, right? Because there's this narrative that the bees are dying off, that the populations mm-hmm. are low enough, that, that the bees die, we are all going to die, right? Like the population is going to cease to exist. In this grimoire, there is the use of powdered bees in order to yeah. bring forth life, bro. So this whole, like when, when I'm listening to you talk about the bees and of the super fluid and all this. I'm thinking about grimoires and alchemy and how in this grimoire that I've read, there is a specific use of bees to bring forth life. So it's wild you say that because there's a story I always equate to the coral castle when I tell the bee theories. Um, and that's from Aztec mythology. And in Aztec mythology, the we are the fifth incarnation of humankind. There's been five cycles of destruction and rebirth and we're on number five and quetzalcoatl who's kind of like the main character of of you know at least the portions of aztec mythology that have survived um he's the main character (laughs) kind of like their jesus their jc um and in order to bring humanity back to life he goes down to the underworld and he tricks the god of the underworld who sits atop this giant pyramid. And to trick him, he takes a cone 
or a seashell, depending on the interpretation, and fills it with bees. And he does this dance around the pyramid, and this dance and ritual tricks the god of the underworld into like a slumber, and he's able to steal the bones to recreate humanity. And um, of course, the Coral Castle mythology, you have those kids who supposedly saw him building it in the middle of the night, said he was using this cone-shaped device that was vibrating to levitate these stones. And when he was asked, what do you, how did you, how did you do this? He said, Oh, I discovered the pyramid, the secret of the pyramids. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, yeah, you're pulling up the B in Freemasonry. And what was yeah. Freemasonry? They were Masons. They moved stones. They crafted mm -hmm. stones. And so why is the B so important in Freemasonry? Again? And you have, you have the movie with Nick Cage in it and the, the B. The, yeah, the bees, exactly. So that's how I feel anytime I'm telling this story. And I, get, <laughs> I get there with it real quick. The bees. Also, another wild one is if you look at um, I gotta I'm gonna put this in the book, but if you pull up a graph of uh, <clears throat> the down down uh, scale of bee populations and the increase of UFO sightings, <laughs> woo, man, they're inverted. Weird. <laughs> It's pretty weird. So we have this. Uh, what is this? this is a, a so I sent you this. So this goes back to this idea of superfluid. So it's not just bees. It's not just orgasms. It's not just the log flumes. The, the what what all of this is suggesting um, is that there is a presence of what scientists already know exists to a certain extent called superfluids. Mm -hmm. And the only superfluid we know to exist is helium-3. And so this video is showing the early helium-3 superfluid experiments. And so what happens to helium when you get it just above absolute zero is what we're going to see in this video right here is it starts to vibrate at the exact same frequency as the molecules around it. And you can see it's just falling through the bottom of the glass there. Whoa. Is that what and happened? I thought it cracked it. It also, nope, it's just, the glass is completely intact. It is, the molecules are seeping through. And so what it's showing here is that not only is it seeping through, but it's climbing the edges and seeping out through the edges as well. It's defying gravity. It's going up around. Oh, wow. Essentially spreading out in all directions as the molecules start vibrating at the same speed as the molecules around it. And so helium is the only substance we can watch turn into a superfluid. And there's been three Pulitzer Prizes awarded to superfluid research. It's something that science is like, balls deep in we always talk about the hydrone collider and the particle research that's it's really fascinating psyop <laughs> but the fucking the, uh, dead ass the true the real shit where they're really creating feasible technology is with that super fluid research i'm convinced of it at this point um because again it's been around you saw the that was a fucking black and white ass video for yeah. the audio listeners so <laughs> imagine what they can do now with all this shit the first pulitzer prize was awarded in the 30s again pre-fucking world war ii this was being discovered um making all of these stories again wilhelm reich gerbinikoff and the german guy i can't remember um all of them were post the discovery of superfluid helium three um so 
the superfluid hypothesis rightly suggests that if there was an element that naturally was around that temperature, around that state, you know, it doesn't have to be that temperature because it's a different element. But if there's an element that naturally exists in a superfluid state, there'd be absolutely zero way for us to like feel it, notice it and experience it. It would be complete. It's, it would be like gravity or even, even electricity doesn't quite equate though, because you can feel electricity. Mm -hmm. The superfluid would be inside your body as it is outside your body. It would flow like a wave. The waves would go through your body as if it was no physical barrier. And again, when you think of paranormal phenomenon, that fucking describes how it works, man. UFOs, ghosts, even Bigfoot all have been able to do that phasing through solid objects. Whoa. When you think about UFOs able to travel through water and air and solid material all in one breath of, of transportation. That's what the Foo Fighters were doing. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense if they're traveling not through those mediums, but through the superfluid medium. That's crazy. So your next book is going to be on this, on this B theory. You have superfluids in there and everything else, right? This, this. Yes. Because I found a guy here in Florida that believes he has also discovered the truth of the superfluid. He's got a bunch of books out. You can check it out too. Um, I'm not. I'm not one of these fuckers who's going to keep my research private. Please check it out. You're going to come and, a knocking, bro. Because uh, I'm, I'm no. I'm going to track this guy down and sit down with him because I want to see what it is. But he's got a bunch of magazines and books called the Quantum Human Hologram, and he's based out of here in Florida. And it's essentially he's parroting the same things that Gerbinikov, Reich, and all these other. And again, I actually have like three or four other. <laughs> scientists who have essentially said the exact same thing there's hutchinson um john jordan john jordan hutchinson he's a canadian dude who the hutchinson effect if you google that one you'll find all kinds of weird objects levitating and shit and he's the same same thing he's discovered the same superfluid hypothesis he's done it through acoustics um, but it's the same kind of concept is that we've got to stop thinking about it as a like hidden form of aviation, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, the narrative is that if it is human tech, it's some kind of plane. <laughs> and that basis of it is, I think, where we're fucking up. This technology is, is operating at a level that isn't gravitational. It's operating on a set of physics that is beyond what we understand. Mm -hmm. um, and again, maybe these fuckers didn't discover UFO shit. Maybe they only discovered the base little, little level yeah. of shit. And that there is some kind of extraterrestrial intelligence, inner terrestrial, whatever terrestrial intelligence that does understand it and it is fucking around. And that's why they took Wilhelm Reich's Cloudbuster because they need a fucking gun to shoot the UFOs with. <laughs> and that would be a weird place to, like, let's say that this is the secret. Imagine bees are the secret to reality. And, like, what a weird place to put it. Out of all the animals, out of all the things, God was like, let's put it in bees, 
Right. Well, but that's, I guess that's the thing that's kind of convinced me that there's something more to this is because if yeah. it was just bees and Gurbinikov saying this shit, I'd be like, all right, yeah, it's some weird Russian psyop yeah. shit. Yeah. Sure. We talked about the idea of Elizabeth Clara. Like Tartaria, and alien, right? And, and, yeah, and... her alien sex buddy. <laughs> like something's going on there, but obviously it's not what she's saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, as much as I love the Gurbinikov story, I do kind of still tend to lean to that explanation to the UFO shit. I mean, if I'm gambling in Vegas, the odds are is that he made that shit up, right? Yeah. If we're playing what we know base knowledge there's a good chance he just was like you know what would be cool you know it would sell a bunch of copies of this memoir <laughs> yeah because or crazy he, at the end or he could have revealed un- unconsciously right and unknowingly on un- with with no malintent this secret like this crazy secret and he's just some nerd that's just trying to to make cool shit and he's like well, well i stumbled across i bit off more than i could chew and here i am have Ironic that you said that because that's exactly how his story of the UFO ends is that he was operating it. All this weird high strangeness shit was happening and he was like, okay, well, this is probably horrible for my health. It was the the one story in particular was he was collecting his bug guy. So he was out flying it in Siberia, collecting <laughs> bug samples. He put this larva in his, in a test tube, put the test tube in his pocket, flew back to his lab two hours maybe um, at the most. He gets back to his lab. He pulls this vial out of his pocket. The larva is fully grown, something that would normally take months. And he was like, well, fuck, if it did that to a larva, like what is it doing to my organs? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, am I taking months off my life every time I fly this around for, you know, 10 minutes? Um, (laughs) Wow, it's like, Hey, you can fly this little cosmic segue around, but you have to give up a piece of your soul every time you do. Would you would you ride it around, Chaz? Or would you be like, hey. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> In a heartbeat. Are you kidding me, man? I'm like still ready. Come abduct me. Like I want it too much. That's why they're not gonna do it. Wow, but, bro. That's... But um the other thing he noted was that um people were seeing UFOs all over the place, not just his little town in Siberia. And what year was this? Uh, the so he, I believe he built the craft and he was operating it in the eighties. Um, mm. He was telling all of this retrospectively about a decade and a half later. Okay, I got you. Um, <clears throat> How wild would it be if it was like around nineteen forty eight or like the nineteen fifties and all these that would other? Be wild. That'd be crazy, bro. That'd be wild. But his takeaway was that people are flying UFOs all over the globe with, like, not just me, which means someone else knows this secret yeah. and they aren't telling anybody. So I'm going to just shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, I live in the, the collapsing Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> this only is going to be trouble for me, like, if I try to, like, take this to anyone. It's only going to cause me fucking harm and strife and shit. Yeah. And again, right around the time when his son was sharing this information is when he fucking died. So, like, he might have been onto something there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, it's it's very bizarre. It's the, the, the whole narrative. And there's, um, you know, other people. I think uh, The Hunt for Zero Point, that was written um, about 10 years ago. And it's a pretty good examination into us and uk scientists who've done the same thing they've essentially been like hey i discovered this weird alternate 
form of energy and then they just disappear. See, <laughs> see you later. They tripped over. Uh, over. There's even this, there's this, um, oh, I wonder if I can pull it up. Um, this video of the, this company that had this free energy generator. You just had to get it going and it would generate energy. They posted one video of it working in an office and then another video of it working on an island without any plugs or anything like that, like completely remote. And then the company just disappeared. No more, <laughs> no more fucking, you can't even find the dudes in those videos. They're just gone, man. Wow. <laughs> Nothing to be seen. Yeah. And again, you know, did they kill those guys? Probably not. Usually when they kill someone, it shows up in the news as like a suicide mm. or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're not fucking Epstein. They just suicided. You know what I mean? If they're killing you, they're killing you. Those guys probably work for the government now. They're probably on some kind of pro they're researchers. They're working on something that we don't know about. Um, and I do think it's very interesting, the whole Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp thing, man, because I, I don't think they, I think they are being genuine when they're like, no, we're trying to figure it out. But man, I think they're being played like a fucking fiddle. And like I, I mean, think, as of recently, too, Carl wasn't it wasn't Carlson that went on Joe Rogan was like, oh, they have they're about to come out with was it free energy? Is that the way they're talking or anti gravity technology or something or other? Something like that. Again, they might be releasing what I'm discussing. And everybody it, finds out it's the bees. Like whoa. Well, if if B theory is correct, then we've been engaged in a aerial based espionage cold war for like a hundred years almost. You know what I mean? It's been eighty years of flying UFOs back and forth and fucking with each other's cows mm -hmm. and shit. Again, I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, but 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 hey, listen. Part of the Lieber vacay is the cow, bro. So the cow is part of this Lieber vacay that involves the bees. And in order to get bees, you need the cow. And if you do it, if you do the spell in reverse, if you do the ceremony in reverse, you get it. So you take bees to make a cow, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you do it in reverse, out of the bees, you get a living cow. So, so it's like this weird connection with the cow and the bees now that I'm seeing that I wouldn't have otherwise thought about if it wasn't for, for this weird bee theory thing that you got going on so i don't know man it's it, again all of that kind of stuff coded language fakes and who's the intended audience because clearly uh, from where we're sitting we can see there's something to that there's something to the information even the connections between bees and cows i'm finally i gotta get that shit because that's going to the book because Cattle mutilation is certainly tied to this phenomenon mm -hmm. for whatever reason. If these are human actors, we're still left with a shit ton of questions. Why are they doing the cow shit? What's up with the fucking crop circles if they're doing that? Mm -hmm. yeah. What's up with the abductions? If, if the abductions are human-based, why? What are we, what are we trying to plant in the, the psyche here? What are we doing to our own citizens or to other people's citizens? There, there's still a myriad of questions, which is why, you know, people kind of shirk away from it because people love to, you know, have the answer. I've met, I, I think there's no more people I've met in the paranormal than dudes who have the answer who are like, no, man, I'm figuring it out. And I'm like, okay, let me hear it. If I love hearing it. But if I've only it was never, that easy, right? 
I've never come away being like, well, that explained everything. Yeah, yeah. you did it. <laughs> yeah. Now this this reality is right. The truth is stranger than fiction, and I think that Absolutely. this this reality is how Sam Tripley says it's a haunted house, and there there's different parts of the haunted house, and different shit happens. Chaz, is there? So you're working on this book. Is there? Do you want to conclude with anything, and what we can leave the people with? And I mean, once you come out with this new book, I'll have you back on to discuss. I'll read it and we'll discuss it. In... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to say uh, check out um, Paranormality Magazine. Um, I'm doing a lot of writing over there. Um, we're putting together some really intriguing uh, content, um, representing some some voices in the paranormal that should be heard more often. Um, one's coming on a, a issue coming up here. Um, be sure to check that out. Our big Florida issue where we're diving into that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's a great place for um, cutting edge research. If you're into this kind of subjects, UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, we do a little What's bit the of website? Um, paranormalitymag.com. Um, yeah, yeah. So great stuff over there. Um, great team of uh, researchers. And then, yeah, if you want to find my stuff, you can find me at Chaz of the Dead on all the social medias. I'm not posting on those as much as I should. But that shit's so toxic these days, you know? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try to post more often, but yeah. Ugh, it's so gross. You're talking about you know, your social media? Just, just the whole climate of internet discourse, man. So, mm. so angry. Everyone relax a little bit. If, if you're going to relax, follow me on social media. If so you're going to get fired up, leave, leave me out of it. Yeah, paranormalitymag.com. Uh, Make sure to check him out there. And oh, and use code CHAZ if you want to save save some money. Code CHAZ. <laughs> and then you said it was chazofthedead.com? Yep, to find all my personal articles and appearances. I also have a, a Patreon and books. You can find links to all that at chazofthedead.com. Um, yeah, if you want to support some kind of weird research, yeah, um, for sure. but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to, to get my quantum hologram on. I hope this guy here <laughs> in Florida, I hope he has it. I hope it's the secret. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck, bro. Hopefully they don't come a knock in and this was super fun. I hope they do. What a good end for the book. <laughs> I just disappear. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that would like raise your legitimacy. Like, so I would sell so many. But part of that lure is not releasing your work, so I don't know, man. You're gonna have to make up your mind there. But we'll see. They'll release a fake version of it, a fake within a fake. Yeah. My true audience, they'll get it. <laughs> well, Chaz, this was great. Everybody, check his work out: chazofthedead.com, paranormalitymag.com. I'll post the links in the description. And Chaz, thank you so much for being here here with me tonight. This was a blast, and we'll do it again very soon.